I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Monday, and today, Sarah Haynes is sitting down with our friend, Greta Monahan. This is Behind the Table. Greta. Hi, Sarah. Okay, now I want to dive in a little bit uh, into how you got to where you are, because we're friends, so I know a lot of this, but I want people to. You've done View Your Deal for seven years now. I know you own boutiques. You're a beauty expert, lifestyle expert. You're a business owner. You described yourself as a shop girl. So how did we get here, Greta? Oh, boy. Get ready. Lots of messiness, but all blessed and great. So first off, I was raised in Boston, just outside. You knew that. Um, Boston, Mass. And, you know, it was always me pushing my nose up against, you know, the store windows. Like, we had Filene's. We had all of our... Do you remember Filene's? Yes. And so I was always that kid that just couldn't... I just wanted to be in a store. And I loved fashion and I loved beauty. But I was really, you know, very much outside of that world, being growing up there, you know, it's not known as a fashion town. And um, I always kind of early on would take my my aunt and my mom would get so annoyed because I would literally go in, find something like an old, you know, an old coat of theirs that they weren't wearing. And then they'd find it in a million pieces because I would start trying to design something new or rework it and make something new. They were like, hey, that's my coat. I'm like, you weren't wearing it. I thought that I would make something out of it. I'd be so impressed and think my child is so talented if they started cutting things up and putting them back together. Come on, not that generation. You got your ass beat. That's true. That's true. You're right. Come on. No, no, no. But, you know, that's like, honestly, it was very, that was my little creative outlet. I wasn't a great student. That was, I just always wanted to be painting, drawing, doing, talking, engaging. That was really, that was really where it was at. So it was sort of like, what am I going to do? I have to do that. So got through high school, graduated, um, applied to FIT here in New York City. That's amazing. Which was, yes, it was my dream, dream school. I definitely, definitely got in on portfolio and not on grades, but it was, you know, that was it. I was like, this, I'm off and running. So came here to school, saved my pennies. And I ended up my first year, I say sort of, this was the big turning point for me. I was in the design program and I had a muslin. You do these designs out of muslin to learn how to sew, to learn how to tailor, you know, to learn all of the basic concepts, not the most exciting, but totally necessary. I didn't respect it as much now as I do then as I do now. But so I have this design. It's my project. I am determined, Sarah. I'm like, I'm going to make this amazing. I am going to make it great. This thing was looked so good, you would wear this muslin to the Met Ball. It was that good of a dress. However, I chose to change. They gave us a direction of a flat sleeve, yeah. and I took the sleeve and I added a pleat to it. But it was done perfectly. I am telling you, it's done so well. So my teacher, I get it back, and I get an F. And so I'm like, what the, what what? This is done so well. I brought it to all my other professors, all of my friends who were best in class, like generational tailors in my dorm. Like, what the hell's going on? It is a creative pursuit. We're going to, like, limit you? You would think so. However, this is why I always back up in the story and say, this is just this moment where things happen and you learn so much. Met with my teacher. I was infuriated after class. And she said, I said, this is, please show me where there's mistakes. I, I, I don't see where I, why this would fail. And she said, no, the, the sewing, every single thing, we went down the list, all done perfectly. I'm like, well, you're killing me. What then? And she said, you changed direction. I told you 
that you needed to do this a certain way. That was the directive. And you took it, took your own creative spin on it. I understand you're in a creative school, but what I am here to do is to teach you how to go in and be valuable to a designer. You can't just go rogue. So it sounds, you know, you think like, wow, how to, and I remember sitting there and I know for most people, you might say, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm really going to try to be a great, a person who can become expert at following directions. And I believe that my entrepreneurial spirit animal came out because in that meeting I knew that's it. I can't do this. I am not cut out to go and work for someone and be sitting in the sidelines waiting to hear how to, you know, sew the sleeve on straight. Like, that was not for me. I appreciated the lesson, but it was the the beginning of a new journey. The lesson could go two ways here, though, because one, I think when you're talking about a creative, like a designer mind, an entrepreneurial mind, like you want them to go rogue. But you're right, because one thing we also know now as adults and parents is there's something to be said for you had instructions and you didn't follow them. Yes. But- what a crazy moment to pivot for you. It was. And I and as you've just brought up being a mom, like I see myself and hear myself. And I've told this story to my to my eldest Kai a bunch. But um, you know, that's why it isn't ever false when people say a failure or, you know, a mess. It seems like a mess. Yep. In that moment, you know, yes, I, I felt this new feeling of like, wow, I always thought this was going to be my path. And now I'm struck with, am I going to be happy doing things? Now that I have a better understanding of what this career path involves and what it's going to need from me, though I completely value the lesson and that lesson from that professor has taken me through my life in many other forms where I have referred back to that and thought, you need to follow directions in TV. You need to be a team player. You need to be there. You need to do, no matter what your creative is today, you need to be in line with everybody else. And it's worked for me. But in a whole life moment about entrepreneurialism in particular, it really was the moment where something else Um, I I just I felt like it triggered something new in me, a new idea about being faced with the fact that maybe I didn't know what I was going to do, you know, at 19 and 20. And that, you know, how am I going to take this experience now and learn from it, but also allow myself to come up with a new idea? Well, one thing, though, you said you weren't great in school. Then you go to FIT. The F is the pivot. How do you end up at Harvard Business School? (laughs) Because it's not exactly linear for me right here. No, it's not. You know, little did I know, I started doing hair, apprenticed and learned, and then met a dear friend at school. And I said, hey, do you want to open a salon? You know, do you want to get together and do this? She was learning. She was then a student of mine because they hired me to teach. And, you know, after I was in it for about six years, I had seven locations. And the pivotal day was a day that I was very behind. I was running about 30 minutes behind. And if you've ever been a client in a salon and someone's that late, you want to kill them. My next client up was the director of the business school, the Harvard Business School. Her name was Jackie. And I had known her since I was just out of college and in that nail and makeup salon because she was a a client there, followed me. And I sat her in my chair and I went over to the front of her, Sarah, and I go, I am so sorry I am late. Please forgive me. I know this is unforgivable. It's 30 minutes. She stopped. She said, stop talking. She said, you have to go to business school. I said, what? 
business school. What are you talking about? I run salons. I, I style. I'm doing clothes, hair. She said, that's exactly why. Your business is amazing. You are doing every single job in here, but this is not sustainable. And you clearly, clearly have a talent and a gift and the drive and the work ethic. But I am here to tell you that you're going to have to do more, more than that. You're actually going to have to be Jackie is a Thank goddess. you, Jackie. Jackie, I know you're listening. Goddess. And so I thought she was crazy. She invited me into her office at Harvard. We sat down. I said to her, there is no way I'm going back and doing tests and going to, you know, the B school. How, how is this happening when I'm working 80, 80 hours a week? I mean, every single day and night I'm at work. Yeah. I'm training. I'm doing. I'm still in New York. What, what am I going to do? And she said, Harvard has specialized programming, specialized executive educational programs that you can go to as a working entrepreneur. You have oh. to qualify for them. So I have to find the one that's right for you and so she did and I applied for OPM which is owners presidents and managers program and it's literally a three-year program Sarah where you do all the same case studies but at a different acceleration you move into I moved into an on-campus for six weeks I checked out of my life both personally and professionally moved into a dorm and then we did seven days a week for six weeks, just under six weeks, every year for three years. And now I am a Harvard alumni, graduated in 2005. Um, that's a boss move right there. I want to get to what I've been waiting to ask you this whole time. So you have Kai, your oldest, who's mm-hmm. almost 13. He's 13. He's 13. Saturday. And then little Rio, who's yes. six. Yes. And you don't get those by yourself. So you did have to meet someone along the way. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And you met a strapping man named Ricky Paul Golden, who is so hot. (laughs) Now tell me, (laughs) he was a soap star in All My Children and Guiding Light, and he still guides many of us. Uh, I, I, he has a ton of fans. I am one of them. But you didn't know who he was. So how did you meet him? When did you meet him in this timeline? So this is very funny because I don't even think you and I have had this sidebar. I don't bar. think you have. I've I been was waiting telling. until this podcast <laughs> for this unveiling. This is definitely a moment. So many years, a few years after Harvard, all I did was work and hang out and have you know do my thing. But then we, my best friend was at a dinner in New York without me, solo. I was not there. I was somewhere else doing something else. And Ricky showed up for one of the times that he says was probably the only time without a woman on his arm. He showed up solo with a guy friend. He so was you're in between. Me a chance. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, to be honest, I really it was just one of those moments. I just broke up with someone. They don't know one another. They, yep. you know, New York moment. They they go to someone's house. They're mutually introduced by a mutual friend. They proceed to have dinner. They're there for like three and a half this hours. This is your friend with my best friend. Okay, who's meeting meeting Ricky that night? And so at the end of the dinner, my best friend Keith says. You know, I have a girl. I don't know if you're with someone or you're not, but my girl, my best friend, we're like family. Greta, I just, I don't know. I have this weird feeling you guys should meet. Ricky was like, well, I'm not with anyone right now, so give me your number. And Keith being Keith was like, oh, no, no, no. I always ask my girls if they want to give a number first, so you're just going to have to hang on. So Keith writes me. Ricky writes him. I don't know how it happens, Sarah, but months and months go by. Somehow, I'm suddenly on the West Coast. I live in New York, but I'm on the West Coast for the daytime 
Emmys. I am there with the Rachel Ray Show. No plans to be there. Just very lucky, suddenly. And Rachel's up to win. The show is brand new. It's up to win an Emmy. I am there with all the producers in the back of the house. We are drinking. The wine's flowing. You know, this is just an amazing thing to be at, and we're hanging out. I keep seeing this name come up. It's where ABC. It's on. I keep seeing the name Ricky Paul Golden. Three names, three names, two L's. I'm like... I'm buzzed, but I'm like, why is that? Why is that That's familiar? Why is that ringing a bell? I'm hanging. I'm doing. All of a sudden, the Jumbotron comes on. There's this hot guy up there. And he's like, I am Ricky Paul Golden. And hello, we're back at the daytime Emmys. And it clicks. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's him. That's the guy. That's the guy. Why is he here? I am completely not knowing Really, where he's from? Because as as you said, I didn't know. I didn't know him at that moment in but you that knew way. What you needed to know. I just knew he was an actor. <laughs> I had no idea we would ever bump into each other. So he does his thing. It hits me. Ironically, we start. We want this show wins an Emmy. We start walking to press. I'm being led by a million people. I've never been in this situation. I'm new to all this. This is not, you know, I'm just lucky, very fortunate to be there. And so I walk by and he is now about six feet from me. I see him surrounded by TV camera doing his thing. Pivot, 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 pivot. I walk. I take a beeline because I did have some glasses of wine. So I was was feeling some confidence. I walk to him and I'm like. Um, hi, I'm Greta. I, I'm like, did, did, I'm like, we have a mutual friend. You met my best friend Keith months ago. He looked at me like I was a crazy fangirl. Oh God, no! And I, I all of a sudden, sobered up, and I was like, "Oh, sorry, mistake, gotta go." So I turn on my heels. I chase my crew. I hear him say, "Oh my God, no, no, no! I remember, I remember, I tried to call you." So. Cut to that. We don't get to see each other at all that night. He starts calling like crazy, writing like crazy. He gets in touch with me and he says, hey, you know, I'd like to go on a date. And I write my friend Keith and I'm like, I'm so excited that I'm going to go on a date with Rick Springfield because I completely forgot it was Ricky. I thought I was going on a date with Rick Springfield. I had the Ricks I'm so glad completely, you got that out of your before the date. I did. Completely, completely confused. I had it. I don't know why it was burned in my head that I was going to be showing up on a blind date. It was a blind date. It really, when you think about it, because we didn't really have any FaceTime. And um, that's our ongoing joke that, you know, Rick had been married at that point, probably Rick Springfield, probably 20 years. Yeah. And somehow I didn't know that, but I was a GH fan. A Greta, I was a General Hospital fan, and I did not watch Guiding Light, and I did not know that that was not the same Rick. I love that you didn't clearly know him on any level. I didn't. I swear I didn't. No, no, no. This is Sonny Hostin. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash view. Just go to Indeed.com slash view right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash view. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Ready to make the smartest choice for your business? Say hello to Shopify, the global commerce platform that makes selling a breeze. Whether you're starting your online shop, opening your first physical store, or hitting a million orders, Shopify is your growth partner. Sell everywhere with Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. Turn browsers into buyers with Shopify's best converting checkout, 36% better than other platforms. Effortlessly sell more with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Did you know Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and supports global brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen? Join millions of successful entrepreneurs across 175 countries backed by Shopify's extensive support and help resources. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Start your success story today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash view. Put it all in lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash view now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash view. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. No, you have some of the highest highs because I think Harvard grad, Ricky, did I mention Ricky? <laughs> you're two beautiful boys, this career, you're a self-made woman, all the things, but you're also a breast cancer survivor. And I remember going through that alongside of you as so many of us did here because shockingly, you're not what I see when I think of breast cancer. Um, so it's a big part of your life now. You've made it a mission of sorts. You're now four years cancer-free. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. So well. You know, I think I, I always say that I'll, if you talk to breast cancer survivors, they are kind of they're holding their breath till five years because five years is that, you know, magical drop in the reoccurrence risk, yeah. you know. And so every year you say your, you know, prayers and blessings and every day. But when you get to five, it's like it's a it's another it's a party. It's a, yeah. it's a real moment, you know. Um, so I feel so fortunate every year. I feel better and stronger every year. You and I talked about you know the post the the you know the uh the mental the psycho changes that occur when you have breast cancer just things that i didn't really make room for as i was fighting for my life and 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 my family and i sort of had to regroup afterwards and realize this isn't just an entire change of of how we see life and you are left with blessings and you you know certainly um you know thank god that and thank your friends and family and doctors that you've come through it but you also have such a huge mental shift and you have to then go on and um, you know take care of yourself 
on a whole, not just physically. So what you're saying rings true. So uh, in addition to you and Summer, mm-hmm. one, I want to mention that favorite yes. producer here at the yes, show. Favorite. Um, also, two of my best friends, Amy and Aaron, all had breast cancer. Not the the statistics you'd imagine. All yeah. in their thirties. Yes, mid thirties, late thirties, early forties. Um, but one thing I learned from them is when you hear you have cancer, the fight is to survive. Yes. And then when you get to the end of that, there's a whole new truck that hits you because now you have to deal with it. And that's the part that I think when you and I spoke, that unfolding of like, how are these two different journeys? Like my physical body, I've done Mm -hmm. what I need to do. Now, how do I handle all that's just been dealt to me. Absolutely. I think that you have to table it at the beginning because yeah. you are literally fighting for your life. So in order to think clearly, you it's odd, but you actually have to almost depersonalize it yep. a bit because um, I always say the best, best, best tools you can have is to be self, to educate. And it's hard to do that when you yeah. are in a panic about survival. So you, you sort of put everything else over here. You try to manage and monitor your panic because yep. that's real. Your family Family's panic is real. You're yeah, also, you're usually, and we were too, I was so worried about telling my family. I was worried about, you know, Kai was eight, Rio was two, so it wasn't as clear, obviously, our, our concern for Rio, but it was very, very difficult for Kai. Hi. He was just entering that age at eight where he understood he was starting to ask questions about life and death and different yeah. things and hearing things about cancer. And, um, you know, it was, those were the biggest and most important things to me at the time, and I'm sure for your friends as well. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, I think think the biggest thing is, you know, I work with a foundation called um, BCRF, you know, the Breast Cancer yep. Research Foundation. And just a couple things that stand out for me that I've been talking about a lot this month. In 30 years since they have been effectively, you know, fundraising um, as number one in the world and funding research, mortality rates have gone down 43% for breast cancer. But to point back to whom, to the women that you mentioned, along with our favorite producer, Summer, the young women from 30 to 39, Sarah, are in at increased risk. And not only are they at increased risk, which is proven, the numbers are proven now, most recently, but they are actually being diagnosed late with later stage cancers and more aggressive cancers. So to me, this month is, and, and you know, the biggest thing is, if you don't have a family history, if you do not have a genetic, genetic predisposition, and you're not receiving mammograms, you are a very vulnerable group yeah. in this young, in, in, so I am out there, I was 49, I was almost 50, I was already in perimenopause. So for me, you know, I speak to a lot of women that are my, in, are my contemporaries, in yeah. my, but to see what's happening with young women, yeah. Summer was diagnosed at in 37. My, my, my best friend was, I think, 34 or 35. And then Amy was technically, they trace it to, she discovered it right when she turned 40, but it would have been there at 39 if she'd gone forward with there it is. So 30s more and more. And it used to be, you used to hear this, oh, you know what? She's young. That never happens. That's really just out of the- it's rare. The, yeah, rare. Rare, rare. Is what we heard. So now we have to really act and and make sure that young women are, there's so much confusing. Confusion. Do I do breast self-examinations? Do I not? I'm here to say you do. Because when I get calls, which I love to work peer to peer, so my doctor actually refers women to call me because we have this open relationship where she, you know, knows that I'm okay with that. She gets, you know, if someone says that they'd like to talk to someone else that has been through the treatment and been through the journey, she will actually refer and I call them or they call me. 
I am going to say that absolutely greater than 75% of the women that I will say under 50 that call me with a new diagnosis, um, under 40 especially, they have found it themselves. So do not, please do not stop um, making sure that you take care of yourself and you do your own examinations no matter what the noise is out there, what the noise is. Because women have have been saving their own lives for a long time and that has to continue. Well, I know you said that when you were diagnosed, it was crucial to your recovery. And I remember hearing my friends say, I had to know there was another to get to the other side, that there were people that survived this and thrived, which you're doing. But you also did uh, a breast cancer walk this past weekend in Central Park with the VIEW staff. Um, Why is this yearly walk so special for you? You know, I did not do this walk. I was not part of this walk before joining the VIEW family. And it was actually Summer who led the charge. And I can't tell you why it's so important is because there is just a very different feeling when you are side by side and you show up at a place where most everyone except your little family gathering are all strangers. And they're yelling to you and saying, go, congratulations, survivor. And they're here together. You have women who are survivors. You have women who are daughters, sisters, mothers, cousins, best friends, all there out in the open, men, the young men, Sarah, the beautiful. I kept going back by and being feeling teary because I have sons. And I yeah. was like, this is big pictures, big pictures of their moms, their aunts, people that are there walking in memory yeah. so that they can also not only be protective and raise funds for research for their own family and their own risks, but also everyone out there. It is profound. And to do it with a, your work team where, you know, we always say it, and and you've been you've been here, and you've been part of this ABC family and the View. When we go through things, there personally, um, big and small, you when you have the just the blessing of having people that you work with surround you, surround your family members. Like my family knew that everyone here had my back. Tori Johnson, Dana Fisher. I mean, every single person here, Brian, you guys, Sonny, everyone. When I came to work and I'll never forget being out of surgery. It was, it was not quite three weeks. And you guys, you literally held me up out there. I didn't think I could stand up and you held me up and I begged to come back. And everyone said, don't come back till you're ready. But that what that mentally did for me when I was walking on Sunday with the team, just rev- just reminiscing and being like, wow, look at what we've lived through together. Yeah. And also being with Summer, who was not only much younger than me, but diagnosed a month apart from me. So we were both here on our I own journey. That timeline together. Going, we were... met that way because Summer did not produce me at the time. We were really, we knew of one another in the industry, but she wasn't my direct, you know, my direct week-to-week producer like Dana and Tori were. And she just, I'll never forget her walking into the room and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going through this too. And so um, it, it's a chance to, to be reminded of that. It's also a chance to really feel it's part of the mental work of the of the good of the way that you keep yourself mentally strong because fear can be so uh, just polarizing you know the fear of breast cancer coming back what if this is what you do you get out you get with people who are doing something about it and that's what the walk is about in the work team walk getting together we had a boozy brunch after you would have loved that so we did get out and hydrate I don't want to say we didn't after the walk but it was incredible raising money together 
was was just the highlight of my, I don't know, not only made my year, just something I look forward to and, and uh, I'm still on cloud nine about. Well, I must say in regard to summer is we've done some of our most profound, meaningful pieces on mm-hmm. breast cancer because I think when you have someone who's a survivor like you, like summer, what you speak to is so understood in another person that the stories are more powerful. So I, I, I say I, that moment makes me proud being a part of an organization that features something so fully and comprehensively in a way. But we are so glad to have you here for a thousand reasons, Greta. You're a light and your light shines bright and even brighter now. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you to Sarah and Greta. Tomorrow, I'm back with Alyssa Farah Griffin. Thanks for listening.